Christian Moore, LCSW. Dave Biesinger. What the heck does LCSW stand for anyway? LCSW, that's a good question. That only took about half my life to get, really? but it's, um, I think for social work, it's a licensed clinical social worker. Licensed clinical social, wor social worker. Yeah. Very cool. And, yeah. and what did you do and how, well, hold on. How in the heck did you earn an LCSW? Because I love you, brother but you yeah. can't do math. And I'm yeah. pretty sure you had to do some statistics. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that yeah. must have been pretty challenging for you. Yeah, you know, it was extremely challenging. I made it through college with a sixth grade math level, seventh grade reading, writing level. And that was a, a long, long, crazy journey to do that. It, it was pretty insane. So, um, well, take us back to the beginning. <laughs> to the very, very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> all right. um, where, where does this journey begin? Not all the way back to the beginning, but you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, far yeah. enough back. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, basically I grew up in between DC and Baltimore. Uh, I think I mentioned a little bit even in our last podcast, group of family, five brothers, six sisters. My um, mom got married really, really young, had me and an older sister. And then she got a divorce. She met a man with six kids, and they had four more kids. You guys were like the Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah, big time, big time. Yeah. And so, you know, a total of 12 kids. Again, I think they had four more kids together. And then my— um, Total of 12, though. Yeah, total of 12. And where, my, did you, where did you sit in all that? I was that? number eight. Number you were number eight, eight of yep, 12. Yep, total. Yep, yep. Okay. Yep, number, number eight. Dude. And stuff. So it was, it, was, it was quite the adventure, man, with this crew. Did they remember your name? Um, most of them did. Most of them did. And it's, it's just really interesting. The older ones, you know, I don't have a lot of contact with. It's yeah. kind of interesting, but yeah, yeah. It's, Except it's, for uh, your brother, your oldest brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah, you were yeah, telling us about yeah, last yeah, time. Yeah, 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 Police yeah, officer yeah, slash yeah, 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 preacher. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, definitely had some contact with him. But His name was Billy? Yeah, he kind of kept us all together. When he passed away, that kind of had a huge impact. Yeah. On, so you guys kind of went your bit. own way yeah, after yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Quite a few of us did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I had very interesting parents. My parents were pretty amazing. My mom had um, social phobia, generalized anxiety disorder. My what does mom that had mean? a fear of leaving the house. She just had anxiety, fear of yeah. leaving the house, so social phobia. Um, yeah. She's afraid to go to grocery stores. Social phobia, that means like I'm afraid of social situations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like I'm afraid high, to so. talk to other people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just Dude, that's high, gonna be tough. high, high, high introvert yeah. <laughs> to the extreme. Like introvert to the extreme. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely, absolutely. So my mom had a heart of gold that was overwhelmed with all yeah. these kids. And then my dad, he's not my biological dad of higher IQ. We know learning disabilities are very genetic. Who is your biological dad? <laughs> so well, his name is Dan Hartman. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I've, I've met him two or three times. What's he doing right but, now? Um, he's retired. Lives in, I think, Truckee, um, California. Seriously? Retired. Yeah. No, I've never, it's my first time ever talking about him. Uh, wow. And, and he he's alive like still. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. alive still. And, um, but, you know, it just was really never in my life. So, you know, I always am one of these people who believe, you know, anybody can have you, yeah. but it's who raises you is your dad. That's, that's right. I, that's what I kind of, I've that. always been a um, big advocate of that. And that doesn't apply to everybody, but for me, it's always been that way. Well, it's not, of. it's not, I mean, for men, it's not that hard to, you know, make a child, yeah. right? I mean, for women, it's harder. Yeah, yeah. But you spend a lifetime raising a child. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, not much interaction with him. But what I know about him, I think he's a good man. I mean, what I know about him. But, again, don't have a lot of um, interaction. I think he worked in the tech industry or something oh, in really? California. And then reti retired to Truckee, California there. So, okay, yeah, yeah. so the guy who actually raised you, not yeah, your biological yeah, yeah, father. Yeah, yeah, Tell yeah. us about him. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's really fascinating. He um, graduated from high school two years early in Arlington, Virginia, went to work for the U.S. Postal Service sorting mail. Mm. The U.S. Postal Service could tell he had a tremendous talent. You could give him any mathematical equation, 5,898 times 10,852, and he could instantly rattle yeah, that yeah, off yeah. the top of his head. So didn't they so give like crazy IQ tests to people who worked at the Postal Service? Back in the day, I think I think I've read about that. I've heard something about that. Yeah. yeah. So they knew he was extremely, yeah. extremely intelligent. Because these were the days before yeah. UPS and before FedEx, yeah, yeah. and you know, the Postal Service was like the backbone of a good slice of the American economy at the time. 
well-funded, not well-competed with. I mean, the yeah. Postal Service was a good-paying job. Oh, absolutely. For yeah, a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And he, you know, he graduated from high school two years early because he was yeah. so smart. You know, he, yeah. He was this, and so like going to work, savant. yeah, going yeah. to work at the Postal Service was a big deal for oh, a yeah, young absolutely. guy like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good deal. job. And the other thing was. Interesting about him. Just a little side note, not yeah. to go down another. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, here, no, no. He, I'll um, take you down some rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah. He um, was also a bowler when he was a kid. He was a pin setter, and back oh. east, I think it's called duck pins. These really small kind of bowling balls. Dude, I think I've seen that in those old pins. movies where yeah, yeah. they they're like back there. Yeah, it's like it's like it was like um, bowling with uh, um, softball essentially. Oh <laughs> but wow! This really small ball. Yeah. yeah. And then he would, but he was a pin setter. So yeah. back in the day, you would sit up on a board above the pins. So knock the pins, the pins would go flying yeah. everywhere. You'd have a shield kind of protecting you, and he would j- jump down, jump and, down. Then, and then set up the pins really quick, Whoa. and then jump back up on the perch, and then put the shield up, and they'd roll the ball back Now, down. would he do it for, like, multiple lanes? Was that, I don't know. I think he just did one just lane. one lane at a time? Yeah, and then he, so he did this growing up as a kid, and then he became a professional duck pin bowler. He became one of the top duck pin bowlers. Wow. It was pretty funny. So I guess he, he had a lot so, of experience. So, so he's working at the Postal Service. He has his childhood as a kid, you know, doing this, you know, being this duck pin bowler. Yeah. And then on his um, 18th birthday, two gentlemen pull up in front of the U.S. Postal Service Uh-oh. and drive him to a place called Fort Meade, Maryland. Was that Do you scary? have any idea what's on Fort Meade, Maryland? Uh, Fort, in Fort Meade? <laughs> Isn't that like, I don't know, the NSA or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, the that? National Security Agency. So he becomes, he becomes a, like a GS-16 code breaker. What does That's that the, mean, GS-16? I have no idea. It's a high you government grade. That just means that you have a huge national security clearance. The only yeah. thing I, I can remember when I was a kid in yeah. school, they said, hey, what does your dad do for a living? And, yeah. and I went home because I had no idea. It's all top secret. I said, yeah. Dad, what do you do? Yeah. And he says, just draw me sitting at a desk doing a crossword puzzle. Okay. Yeah. And so whatever that means, I guess he's... he's <laughs> that's what a GS-16 code breaker does. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossword puzzles. puzzles. According to him, that's okay. what he told me. That I guess he's but GS-16 is like the grade. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the, the pay grade with yeah, the military. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this, he was a civilian, though. He was a civilian. Oh, grade. okay. Yeah, so he's working was as a civilian. Was that the salary grade, or what is GS-16? I don't know. I don't even have any idea. We don't know. Yeah, a GS-16 yeah, code yeah, breaker. because they brag about that and say, that was about as high as you could go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a kid growing up. Yeah, yeah. But, so that was um, a bragging point that he yeah, was yeah, GS-16. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, my joke is always, I'm going to write a book one day, Son of Spy. But, okay. So I have this dad who's a code dad breaker. dad was a spy. He's a spy. And then a mom who has social phobia, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, yeah. fear of leaving the house. And then my dad. That's, that's kind say, of an odd couple. Yeah, it's odd. And I can say now he probably... You know, I'm son, it's hard for me to diagnose him, but I say he probably had Asperger's or yeah, autism. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so, um, so I have this dad in that situation, and Wait. then my mom in her situation. So I had a lot of freedom growing up. Hold on, yeah. hold on. Is yeah. this this your the guy who raised you is still alive or has passed on? He's now? passed away. When did he pass ago? away? Like. Two and a half years ago. Oh, this is recent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so wow. So Billy, who raised me, yeah, yeah, he's passed away. My mom's passed away. Both my parents. Billy's passed uh, away. The man who raised you's passed away, and your mom's passed away. Yeah, yeah, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Billy's the man who raised me. Well, yeah, Billy yeah. was the oldest brother, right? Yeah, but they, they, they have the same name. So my dad's name. Oh, is Billy. it was Billy and, and Billy Junior. Brother, yeah, yeah. Oh, dang. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't know that yeah. I've ever heard his yeah. name before. Yeah, yeah. So his so name was name. Billy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both and so his son Billy. was Billy the kid. Yeah, yeah. I'm Billy Junior. Yeah, yeah. I dropped Billy that dad. Joke. That was good. That I'm was sorry. good. That was a dad joke, though. Man, that was painful. That was bad. I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. Get back to your story. I'll shut up. So, anyways, because of my parents, some of their mental health challenges and stuff, you know, I grew up. Being able to run the streets late at night, staying out till two, three o'clock in the morning on school Ooh. night, basically no rules, no boundaries. Yeah, growing dude, you get, up, you can get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Late at night, man. Yeah, yeah. In Maryland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Baltimore. So it was, it was, it was a crazy adventure. It was outside. It's about, I think, there's about nine miles outside of Baltimore mm. yeah, where we were. What was the town called? So it was called Odington. Odington. Yeah, yeah. Odington, Maryland, right next to Fort Meade. There, so I'd hang out with kids my own age. You know. Yeah. To five six o'clock at night. Most yeah. kids my age had to go in the house yeah. pretty early, so I'd run around with the older that was kids. That's probably smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. But your mom, yeah. your mom was too afraid to talk to people, and so she wasn't putting rules on you. And well, your she dad would talk to people a little bit, but she would talk to people a little bit. She yeah. talked to people in her church and stuff, and a little bit. She didn't, yeah. she didn't talk to anybody. She she would talk to people. She, some. So yeah, she had yeah. some social interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but absolutely. it was limited. Yeah, yeah. It was but limited. why wasn't she giving you any rules? I mean, it seems um, like I mean, just you don't have to she, leave the house. Because she's a lot of little kids. She has, she had like four babies, like about a year, year and a half apart. Yeah. And so she's just overwhelmed oh. with these four younger kids. Yeah. And so she couldn't, she didn't have the emotional. But like, would you walk out the front door or you're sneaking out the window? No, I just walk out the front door. You just walk out the front door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. no one's even paying yeah, attention. Yeah, I think looking back at it, I don't think 
I don't think she had the energy or the strength to to really control me to reach out. I yeah. think I was, I was pretty intense. So I think it might have been a relief when I walked out of that door. Ooh, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. And so, um, you know, just grew up in that environment. And, you know, it's one of the things that definitely got me interested in resilience. You know, I remember um, as a kid, you know, walking to school and I would see people um, – that had been like evicted from their houses and all their stuff would be thrown out in their front lawn and stuff. And I just remember that having a huge impact on me thinking, man, you know, people ask me all the time, why do you want to become a social worker? I'm like, just seeing um, what happens when people, you know, don't have the ability to pay their bills and, and um, just real poverty stuff that, that had a huge, yeah. huge impact on me. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting right now we're in the middle of this, you know, coronavirus and, you know, yeah. a lot of people are out of work. I just I announced know. a few minutes ago, like, Two million people just apply for unemployment. I know, it's crazy. Something and so my um, so yeah, it's intense right now. My yeah. heart goes out, and so you know, just seeing that as a kid, and then I think a lot of what's happening today is um, triggering a lot of those emotions in my childhood yeah. back. Yeah. Of what's happening even right now? I know. The, 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 right now. So so hold on. Your dad was a government employee, and a pretty successful one, but you yeah. were living in poverty. Yeah. So it's interesting. It wasn't a lot of the people around us work because we live in this little duplex. I yeah. My dad had a good job. Yeah, he had a good but job. But it's a, it's a here's another story I've never shared before. It's a pretty yeah. crazy, crazy story. My dad, um, when my mom first married my dad, we lived in um, Virginia and a pretty nice home when they first got married. And then my dad, I learned years later, had started a toy company. And the toy company went bankrupt. And oh, he was wow. like, it's a pretty cool story. He was like a million some dollars in debt. Wow. And it's like his business partner um, if I remember the story correctly, like left out, ran away, didn't deal with it. But my dad was somebody like when I was a kid growing up, if he went to a gas station and he realized he owed them like two pennies, he would drive 100 miles back to give them the two pennies. Yeah. And he did this a couple times growing up to show me, you know, importance of being honest. And he, and so he was in tremendous debt a lot of my um, childhood because he was paying back. He was paying back? Yeah, yeah. He paid back with that? the money because he wouldn't Ooh. claim bankruptcy. So many of these people now would just yeah, yeah, let yeah, the company, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let, the, let the investors yeah. or whoever just eat it and yeah, walk away. Yeah, he didn't do it. He, he, paid, he was that. really proud. It's funny. I remember him telling me that like, one time a guy knocked on our door. And like I remember it was like a Buick. So I just want to give you the car. You you um you know, you helped me out one time yeah. and, and and I want to pay you back. And my dad was like, No, no, you don't have to pay me back. And you know, just just keep the car. I mean, like people would show up and because yeah. my dad's generosity was tremendous. He would every hitchhiker that he'd pass up. I mean, every hitchhiker yeah. we would see if we were going up. past me, he, that he was would more literally stop and pick him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So he was um but but well, he had a good job. He made like sixty-five thousand dollars a year. That's, so we, that's good money. So our family well, was not really in poverty at all. You also had a lot but of kids. It, but it was in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the debt. Yeah. So between all the kids and the debt. Yeah. But he had a job. But that job was enough to kind of keep us afloat. And yeah. so, so it's like you know, when you're a kid, you only know what you know. It's right. on a continuum. Right. But um, but I wouldn't say more. It was when I walked out of the house in my house. In general, there was challenges. There was some, definitely some dysfunction there. Yeah. But it was when I went out into the neighborhood, into the streets, where, where there's a lot more. Okay, let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, you yeah, being yeah, out yeah. on the streets. Yeah, 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 yeah. So during so the day, where... you had a pretty normal life, it sounds like. But yeah, at yeah, night, yeah. that's yeah, when school. things got intense. Well, I school quite a bit sometimes. But yeah, at night, I'd get home, and most kids my age had to go in the house pretty early. So I'd run around with the older kids. The older kids quickly introduced me to the urban pharmaceutical oh, industry. Oh, okay. And, so we're talking um, aspirin, Advil. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what these older kids would pull the drugs what on were they me because they knew I wasn't going to be checked. So a lot of it was interesting at the time. It was, of course, a lot of marijuana, speed, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And, um, and um, You didn't sell LSD. any drugs. Yeah, yeah. But I would be the carrier. They would put all the drugs on they me because yeah, they knew like I wouldn't mule. be checked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was just so young. I mean, I was doing this from the time I was like seven yeah. years old. Did you even know what was and going so, on at the time? Yeah, a little bit. But I didn't totally understand it. Seven years old. I didn't understand. Yeah, that's pretty young. And these kids would say, hey, Hey, look, if the um, police pull up on us, you're the diversion, you run over, you talk to them and stuff. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, do things like that. And there was a couple of guys I, I ran around with that um, they really looked out for me, man. They're like, Christian, if anybody messes with you, we got them. And they're like, if I wow. wanted like some good food or anything I needed, they would, they would get for them. If I needed money, I needed protection, whatever I needed, these older guys looked out for me. And it's really crazy. One of the things from that experience, 
I learned the power of um, community and connection and having people watch your back. Does that make sense? And, and I was such a unique kid in that environment that I had curly hair and dimples. You know, it was yeah. kind of cute white kid. And they were like, um, I think they were fascinated. One, that I could even hang out with them that late at night. Yeah. And two, they were like, I was like a little brother to all these guys. Yeah. They kind of really looked out for me. So even though this sounds at risk, yeah. I was actually protected, protected which is yeah. a, a great irony in that situation. But, well, but I learned like, what it was to be connected and devoted yeah. and to look out for someone. Because they're watching each other. Yeah. And these they're, guys they would literally, yeah. And these guys would literally have probably gave their life for me. It was yeah. unbelievable. And yeah. sometimes when we, we talk about, I wish I had more time in a keynote speech to talk about this. I just tell this story really quick. Yeah. But, but it was like real family. Like these yeah. guys, would he have done anything for me? Would he have given anything, you know, to help me? That's a beautiful and it was, thing. It's funny. I just had, you know, you met one, one of my friends that was here recently, you know, my buddy Frank. It was Yeah, here. I met Frank. Dude, Frank was connection. an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. I mean, yeah. hear him talk about some of his journey and some of his his pain that he's been through. Yeah, and Frank was like a car thief yeah, and he's yeah. been in prison. Yeah. And, so and things, he was saying that most of the people that you guys, it was, oh, jail. was it jail? Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was saying yeah. that, that most of the guys that you guys used to hang out with yeah. are like dead, dead or in prison, prison today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you two are the only yeah. ones who made it and out we found of that out like, one of them was a, was a murderer. One of them was a serial was a killer. killer. And I'm like, wow, I blew me out of the that water. That was intense. Yeah, yeah, that, that was intense. Yeah, that was intense. And we hadn't yeah. come together. So, but but that at that young age, experiencing that is one of the things where I started becoming aware of social injustice right. issues in the United States. And then, um, you know, I know, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about, you know, where did resilience really come from? You know, people, yeah. why did I get so interested in writing this book, The Resilience Breaks? We're doing this podcast right, right. on resilience. And I think it kind of starts right here, kind of, really? in my story, right? In All this right. part of my story. Because, um, you know, one night I'm out late at night and a car pulls up and the windows on the car slowly roll down. You know, neighborhood I grew up in, when, when that happens, you either duck, Dude, get you down, duck. or you yeah. take off. Yeah. And I hear a voice and the voice I hear is the voice of a woman who I endearingly call Mama J- Mama Jackson. It's an African-American woman who was one of my best friend's moms. His name was Sean. And she sees me out there late at night. She knows what I'm out there doing. Yeah. And she's like, come on, Christian. Don't you ever set foot on our property again. Wow. I'm going to call the school she's tomorrow. She's off. Yeah, she's like, doesn't want me anywhere around her son. Because she knew I was out there. You're doing. seven at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven she, or eight years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. She comes down with a hammer on me. And I remember just kind of being devastated. She's yeah. like, you go home right now. And I'm Sean like, oh. was your good friend. Yeah, he was my best friend. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm never going to be around my good friend, man. man yeah. I love Sean. Oh. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to be able to kick it with him anymore. And so I was like pretty sad. And luckily, Sean went home. When they went home the next day, Sean's explaining to her, hey, this is the reality of Christian's home life. You know, I go over to Christian's house. They hardly have any food to eat in this house. There's yeah. a lot of yelling, hitting, fighting. Your mom's just overwhelmed. Yeah, she's overwhelmed. I punch holes in the wall. I come home from yeah. school, open the refrigerator 5,000 times, hoping that something would magically appear yeah. in the refrigerator when no nothing food. would appear. In the, yeah, yeah. I would just yeah. get angry. Yeah. And um, depending on where my mom's mental health was, sometimes for a while, she'd wash my sheets for me every night. Really? And stuff, yeah. No and, food, okay. but she'd wash her sheets, sheets yeah. every night. And she'd buy a bunch of dogs. We always had, we'd, there'd be like, you know, they should put money away for me to go to college yeah. or any of that. Or, but she would have purebred dogs. And it's funny, at the end yeah. of my mom's life, the little Purebred dogs? What kind of dogs? Yeah, all kind, every type of dog you can think of, from a Dotson to a... Um, wow. Oh, my gosh. So, so 12 yeah. kids weren't enough. She yeah, wanted yeah, dogs, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, because I asked her just, just yeah. right before she passed away. I said, Mom... Um, those dogs, man, you spent a lot of money on those dogs. Yeah. Bro. And these dogs meant so much to you. And she said something really interesting to me. She said, Christian, those dogs never talk back to me. Oh. They never, and I just hit me like a ton of, wow. and I was like, wow. So the dogs were a safe place for her. And it's funny, yeah. now I have a little dog named Bandy. You know, yeah. And I'm like, wow, when I go home and I hug him and play with him and, you know, spend time, there's a, there's a, you know, that, it's unconditional. Spread, unconditional love is it's powerful. It's unconditional love. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And um, well, maybe it's conditional on you. Feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feed, yeah, yeah. The food might help a little as bit. As long but. as you're feeding him, it's pretty unconditional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, but anyway, so Mama Jackson sees me in that situation. Yeah. And um, here's from her, you know, her son Sean. He explains everything to her. And a couple of days later, I'm walking to school. And I'll never forget this moment, man. She comes flying out of her house in this blue bathrobe. And she says, look, Christian, I'll tell you what. You need to start going to school every day. I want to see your report cards. If you start answering to me, you can come eat in our house anytime wow. you want. So she pretty much just kind of like informal foster care takeover. She's like, what? what? Made yeah. her change her yeah. mind. Yeah, I think, I think she had been around me enough. And then Sean explained to her what I was dealing with. And I think she was just like, look. 
I can make a difference in this young man's life. And, you know, the, I look back at it. I always picture she was like 30 years old, 35 years old. I, I was, I, there's a picture of her. I was showing it, talking to her about it the other day. And she was like, yeah, Christian, I was only like 26 years old. Wow. And that when she, she did that, she was young. She was a kid herself. And she'd grown up in a little town in Virginia where community was everything. Yeah. And, and her, how her I guess her mom, her family had treated her. And what she had learned is, man, if you have something to give or to help other people out, you should do it. And you think back, you know, that was during the um, late 70s, early 80s. For her to reach out and do that with me was unbelievable. You know, our difference in um, backgrounds, everything, you know, she, for her to reach out for me, to me and um, say, hey, I'm going to make sure this little kid has support and love mm. and nurturing and, um, and because people always ask me, Christian, so when did you really get interested in, in resilience and, and pushing through obstacles and resilience as this ability to bounce back? And I remember she would pick me up and um, some school days I missed school. She'd come over to my house. She'd pick me up. She'd pull over in front of my elementary school. She knew if I didn't come to her house the night before, I didn't have any dinner. I definitely had, didn't have any breakfast that morning. So she'd sit out in front of my school with this green plate with warm food on it. And we would talk about all the stuff I'm dealing with mm. and stuff. And she would just say, look, Christian, I can't change a lot of these things. She was like a social worker. Yeah, like yeah, she knew yeah, that yeah. she couldn't help you until yeah. she fed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She first she did the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, yeah like yeah, I'm not, she's, she's, this, this kid's funny. not going to be paying any attention to these yeah, lessons I'm trying to teach it's you funny, without food. A few months ago, I was at her house. Yeah. And the first thing, she just, I'm walking out with food. She's yeah. handing me food. Yeah. Makes sure she knew. She understands. Somewhere she knows people are... Um, you can be more motivated and put yeah. effort. It's funny when I was in graduate school and I started studying when most violence in a home occurs. It's around mealtime. Wow. When people are hungry and their blood sugar is low, yeah. you're more likely to have abuse in a hangry. home. Yeah, 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 yeah. hangry. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So she, I've never heard I don't that. know if she had Oof. any formal um, education in that, but she knew I needed to eat. Yeah. And um, so she would make sure I had food and feed me and love me. And then she would just say, Look, Many of these problems I can't change. And she would understand. She'd show empathy and say, you know, I understand why you're angry. I understand why you're frustrated. And she would just say, hey, you got to use that to push through. You made it this far. It's funny. The other day, just like a couple weeks ago, right, before this crisis happened, I was talking to her some about some challenges, you know, in my life, at work, different things, you know, some economic stuff. And she's just like, Christian, you just got to keep pushing through. Don't give up. Don't give up. Mm. And she would, and she, she's still funny, teaching you she was resilient. giving me the same message on resilience a couple of weeks ago that she was giving me, you know, when I was like, you know, eight years old, seven, eight years old. She's giving me the same message. And her message is, look, you can't control what happens. You know, you can't control what's going on, but you can control completely control how you respond to these situations yeah how you you know she's like can't change the ch challenges of school can't get rid of your parents divorce when you're younger i can't get rid of your learning disabilities the challenges you had in your life you have to use these challenges as a reason to make better decisions so what she started to show me what to do is how to make good decisions with my negative emotions Ooh. which it was interesting i went to college and it was all on positive psychology yeah. like, get rid of anything negative yeah. And, and have positive. But you were like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not how I got here, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm someone with severe learning disabilities who comes yeah. from a disadvantaged background, you know, yeah, yeah. to some degree, yeah, from, yeah. from hard life circumstances. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. I didn't get here through positive psychology. No, absolutely. Yeah. I got here by using my negative emotions as fuel. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, then my, um, I'm in Maryland there for a couple more years, and then my ninth grade year, right before my ninth grade year, I spray painted my name on a water tower behind my school. My street uh -oh. name was Mighty Moore because yeah. you're kind of the opposite of your persona. Now, now I'm a little heavy now, but back in the day, I weighed like 120 pounds. I was really you're thin. Like flea weight, yeah, yeah, man. yeah. I just and so since I was really small, they called me Mighty. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So it's kind of your persona. If you're really big, they call you Smalls or whatever. You know what I mean? But also, you had yeah. a big personality even back yeah, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Frank was talking about that. The other day, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> so I, I spray painted my name on the um, water tower, Mighty Moore, and a couple of days later, it said two thousand dollar reward leading to the arrest of the person who did this. And my grandparents were visiting from Utah, and they um, said, "Hey, we're going to take you out to the Rocky Mountains." So they shipped me out to Utah to live with my grandparents. Ooh, that was culture, culture shock. shock. Yeah, yeah, Oof. yeah. 
And so um, live with them that ninth grade year. My, yeah. my grandfather would take me fishing on this river all the time, taught me um, how to fish. And um, that became a, later, a different metaphor for my life. But um, <laughs> so I spent that, that whole year with them. And like they made me do my laundry. It was the opposite of the house I grew up in. And, you know, they have a nice meal every night and had a learn how to do chores and work. I had no work ethic in a lot of time yeah. and all that. And so he, my grandparents had a huge impact. So the combination of, of my grandparents and then, of course, Mama Jackson. And then um, and then I ended up marrying Wendy. And so I just had these people yeah. who showed up in my life. Mentors. That, yeah, yeah, that made major, yeah. major um, changes for me. Now, Wendy, your wife, didn't she kind of help you? I mean, she also helped you get through college, right? Because she, she wrote yeah, a lot yeah. of your papers. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think you wrote them. But what, what form? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, this is a bit of a yeah. divergence here. But yeah, I've, always, I've always wondered this because... What did that look like, the two of you writing a paper together? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I know yeah. you're a content machine. Like you can just sit and flow. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's it's yeah. informal writing. It's yeah. just kind of stream So I wrote hundred percent of the paper. Yeah. And then Wendy would type it up. Type it so, up. So that's all she, she would yeah. just type it up. I would write but, it. But did she have to do like grammar and stuff? A little for bit. You? Not too much grammar. She would have to do uh, more punctuation. Punctuation. That's what I think. Mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could write because I I've always had the ability to write like I speak. Mm -hmm. So I can. And when I write, I just kind of take what's in my head. Yeah. And put it down on paper. Sometimes some people there's a difference there, but for yeah. me, I write very similar to how I talk, and so yeah. I would just. She'd crank out a paper, and then she would type it up. She read all my textbooks. And probably to do justice to Wendy, I should back up yeah. just a little bit. Um, I um, you know, met her when I was in high school, yeah. and then about 21 years old, I started dating her a little bit again. I started falling in love with her, but I thought, man, if she marries me, her life's going to be hell. It's going to be a pretty difficult life because, yeah. you know, my learning disabilities, some yeah. of the challenges I had in my background at the time, all my behavioral issues had not been rehabilitated yeah. yet. You're not sure if and you so, can provide for a family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, didn't, definitely knew I probably couldn't provide yeah. for a family. And um, I broke up with her. Oof. And I just said, Wendy, you know, you got to marry one of these people who can make over, you know, at the time, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. They work in a high tech industry. Yeah. You know, one of these functional people, right? Yeah. So I broke up with her, and she came to me a couple of days later. And she's like, you know, she's hurt. You know, I broke up with her. She's, yeah. She comes to me and she says, "Look, Christian, I understand why you broke up with me." And she goes, "Look, I know you're learning disabled. I know you're dumb, lazy, rebellious, attitude problems." She gave me all my labels, and then she got down on one knee and proposed to she me. She proposed to you. Yeah. She says, "If you marry me, you never ever have to get a job. Ooh. I will support you. I will take care of you for the rest of your life." I thought to myself, I may be learning disabled, yeah. this homeboy ain't stupid, that's right. the woman for me. <laughs> so I married her because I really did love her, not because I never yeah. had to work another day in my no, life. of course. And so she says to me, why don't you apply to local community college? Yeah. And I thought, they're not going to let me in. So I applied to right. local community college and I get accepted. And I'm d jumping yeah. up and down on the couch. Yeah, and yeah. my wife's like, you go full time like, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's like, it's open enroll, they let everybody they in. Let everybody what are you in. <laughs> What are you so excited about? And so, anyway, so I get into this community college, and then I had come up with something called the NoF game plan. I figured oh. out if you go to every class, yeah. sit on the front row, do all the homework assignments, yeah. and do enough extra credit to get a D minus, you can pass more classes. You call that the NoF F game plan. plan. Yeah, so yeah. it's just to just just, just get, get D minus because I figured out you get just as much credit with a yeah. D minus yeah. as you do with an A plus. You're not so trying to same graduate with honors. You just yeah, want to yeah, graduate. Yeah. yeah, I knew I couldn't transfer to this community college. I knew I couldn't. Yeah. I knew I couldn't transfer to a major university or anything. Yeah. So I just. So did you come thought, up with that on your own? The NoF yeah, game yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just Dude, thought, that's, man, how that's can killer. I, how can I get through this class? And so if the teacher said go write a twenty page. Pay extra credit paper. I do a twenty-five yeah. page or a thirty yeah, page. Yeah, you go the because I learned mile. if I did more work than the person helping me. Yeah, it opens up always open another door for me. So I go to every class, sit on the front row, do all the homework. But what was your actual pay. GPA as uh, an undergraduate? That time, it, was, it was pretty decent because I was able yeah. to transfer. I, I bet you I didn't get all D minus. No, 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 no. If you go to if yeah. you do those three things, you'll get an A, B, or C. Yeah, and so, so you got these grades. Yeah, I probably had a probably learning a B, B minus average, something that's, like that. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, and even though I was failing almost all the tests I was taking, I just figured out. So you'd fail. Test, this, yeah, I failed the test, but I would just make sure I did enough yeah. to at least get that. But if by doing those things, I'd yeah. get an A, B, or C. Yeah. And so that was, the, I know maybe in another podcast we'll share more time on that. But basically, yeah. I did that and then applied to a, a major university and got accepted, which was a miracle. And then they told me I could come study social work, nothing else in this university. Really? Yeah. So I went and studied social work. And then while I was. Um, they weren't going to let you yeah, transfer yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. So I did this <laughs> university and I, um, yeah. I keep doing this. No F game plan. Was that shocking and to you to yeah, get into a big university yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, How did that make it you was feel? extremely shocking. Well, I just thought I fooled the heck out of these people. Yeah. I, I'll be honest, man. I, 
I thought they're going to figure out I shouldn't be here. You felt that, so you got yeah, that imposter syndrome. Yeah, I had major imposter syndrome. But then when my professors said, hey, write some papers, every paper I wrote, they'd pull me aside and they would go, hey, that was one of the best papers I've ever read. And yeah. I was like, well, maybe I have something to yeah. contribute. Yeah. And I was out West. I was in a pretty conservative place and I was probably you know, sharing some different perspectives that they yeah. hadn't been exposed to. I remember um, one class I was taking, this is actually how I got into graduate school. I was taking a class, and they were looking at you know poverty issues in the in the United States and stuff, and um, and they were talking about welfare reform. And there's a class with like 200 students in it, this kind of general psychology class, and they were just talking about you know economic issues and stuff. And I remember a bunch of students in the classroom had worked in grocery stores and stuff. And they would talk about how people you know, in poverty and really poor people would come in with, you know, food stamps and they would buy orange crush soda and ice right, cream right. and all these things. And I'm because, like, because yeah. you know what? People yeah. on food stamps want to have something nice in their yeah, life yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they so, want to have something that tastes good. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, so it's like, up. well, you want them to just eat, buy like salad and kale. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Dude, that, that orange crush is getting them through the day. Yeah. And that's what ended up. And so these really? things are that, happening. Is that so that's, the angle that, you yeah, that's the angle. I show you. And the story's in the book. You read the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in there. But I, um, but I basically just finally, uh, I just raised my hand. And I, there's this young girl talking about, you know, they should be buying diapers and milk and yeah, all yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I said, um, what's your favorite kind of ice cream? Yeah. I said, you know, like 200 students were listening to And she's like, remember, like chocolate chip mint ice cream or something. Yeah. And I said, the same reason you like chocolate chip mint ice cream. I, mean, I actually made her even yeah. tell me like what time of the day she eats it. Yeah. You know, is she tired at the end of the day? Is, she, right. is it enjoyable? Why, do you, why are you, yeah, you eating it? Yes, I go through all that. Chip ice and cream. then I go, the same reason you like right. it. That's a human being Is the too. same reason why. Uh, and if a poor person, like, and if a person's poor, they might even need it more than you. Yeah. And, I, and the professor was like, oh, yeah. hey, Christian, why don't you come down here? And I came Did down. Did you think you were in trouble? They, yeah, I thought I was And they had me, they go, you, you teach the rest of the class. Oh, wow. And talk about these poverty because they knew I had some experiences yeah. growing up that you a lot of those college students, you know, yeah. didn't come from that. And it you was, really had and a different perspective. And then, yeah, and then those professors would yeah. say, hey, Christian, you should apply to graduate school and stuff. And so that's, so it's interesting. My book opens up with, you know, I got my bachelor's degree at the end by Right away, I couldn't get the bachelor's degree. And, and, and by and the, book, we mean yeah. uh, resilience breakthrough. breakthrough. Actually, let me say, you know yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. Let me just instead of me telling just you about it, thing. I'm just going to read this part of the. Um, you going to read it? I'm going to read this part, this opening right. part that um, that will give you context to where resilience um, comes from. I'm going to. Um, I've never done this before, but what the heck? Um, let me just read this um, one little part, and then I'll explain the rest. So I won't read the whole thing, but let me just read one little segment here. It just says, it says, I was curled up. These are the opening lines of the book. I was curled up in the fetal position on my cold kitchen floor, sobbing like a child. Tears covered my red face and the linoleum beneath me. I was 28 years old, far beyond the age this would be considered acceptable behavior. But I had never hurt so deeply in my life. My worst fear had just been realized. I had been found out as an academic fraud. I always feared I was. Yet slowly, I wiped off my face, letting the anger surge through me as I thought about the last six years. I'm not an academic fraud. I insisted to myself, I wanted to prove it so badly that I began mentally preparing myself to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a man whose power, at least as far as my future was concerned, was beyond immense. I felt myself drawing upon all the anger and pain and frustration inside me, transforming it into fierce determination. I stood up. And um, the reason why the book Ooh, starts out with powerful, that, thank man. you, thank you. The reason why the book starts out with that story right there is um, for me, that was kind of my rock bottom moment. And resilience, you know, is the ability to bounce back from you know, major opposition. You continue to put one foot in front of another. And um, in that moment right there, I knew I had to figure out, all right, I paid a price. I worked hard. How am I going to get out of this, this university? I'm going to get this bachelor's degree. And so I actually called the dean up who told me I couldn't graduate, called him back and said, hey, can I come meet with you? And he's like, all right, I'll let you meet with me. I'll give you like a half an hour. I went over and met with him. And then I explained to him all that I had done you know, to make it through college and the price I paid. And I just said, look, if you'll enable me to be able to do this, to graduate, 
I will use this in some way really powerful. I will use this to help a lot of people. And um, and I looked him in the eye. I said, I'm going to use it. I'm going to go help millions of people one day with yeah. this. If I can get this college degree, I'm going to let everybody know how to do this, let everybody know the skills of, of how to overcome some of this. And he looked at me and goes, oh, man, I hope you could do that. But that's a big thing you're saying. He was kind of checking me up. But I pushed back and I said, you know, please, please let me have this opportunity. And um, he, he worked with me and I was able to, to graduate from oh, college. Christian, man. Christian, it was Christian. crazy, man. Dude, yeah. and you've done that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's powerful, man. I mean, there's a lot of people who say that they're going to go out and affect millions of people, but you've done yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, de- the deck was stacked against you from the beginning. Yeah. And you've been able to, by forging this path, by being resilient throughout your life, like you forged a path that other people can follow, right? Because that's what young people need. They need a role model. They need, they need a hero. They need someone like them that does what they wish they could do so that they can follow, right? You're, you're like a trailblazer, man. You know, you, you went through the jungle, you chopped down the bushes, you know, and you made that trail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and now pa- yeah. these other kids who are like you, who come from a background like you, yeah. and who have learning disabilities like you, yeah. they have someone they can look at and say, you know, Christian Moore could get a master's degree. I could get a master's yeah, yeah. degree. And we've seen it. We've helped. It's been amazing over the last 20 years. We've is like that North game plan I was just teaching you and, and just teaching kids evidence-based, you know, social and emotional education. We've been able to see it's a, it's why education is the most important thing in the world. You have to have the knowledge, the skills to be able to overcome, you know, what's in your environment. That's a, that's a learned thing. You do not have to be born with resilience. Resilience is already within you. It's our job to, to, to pull it out. And so, um, Long story short, um, transitioning from there, I um, had a professor who just said to me, look, Christian, you know, how did you get through college? How did you make it this far? And I wrote down some principles on a piece of paper. And that, yeah, was, yeah. That, was that in your graduate degree or was that during, um, was that was that the during end undergraduate? Of, yeah, yeah. That was kind of the end of my undergraduate. That was the start. end of your undergraduate. Yeah, and then okay. I, in graduate school, I got into it more, way more in depth. And so the first, yeah. it's kind of going into the, well, that part when they asked me that question was in the kind of the first towards the first semester of um, getting into graduate school and stuff. Oh, so that was at the beginning me, of yeah, graduate school. Yeah, yeah. They were like, how the hell did Why you even there? Yeah, I had yeah. to do it. I was an intern, and they were asking me some yeah. questions. And then later on, it came up again because I couldn't graduate yeah. you know, from college. And so it, it, it came up multiple times. But where it really, really, really started to solidify it was – you know, professor says, look, if you can get a college degree, my degree is worth less. Ooh, and I was just like, Ouch. what? And I just walked off that campus crying. I was, oh, I was pretty upset. That's painful. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, that was a rough, rough day in college. And I was, you know, I was doing this enough game plan all the way through. Wendy started reading a lot of my college textbooks to me. She was typing up on my paper. So Wendy, my wife was going to the extreme to help me get through, through school. And then, um, this professor, you know, says, you know, how did you do this? I write down these principles. And that became kind of the start of why I tried. I wrote down my decisions. Had, I understand my decisions had consequences. I had to tear off my labels, control my defense mechanisms. And then we took all these life skills and made them visual, reinforced them with music. That became this, this why try curriculum. And then we spent the last 20 years sharing that. And then we noticed, we started trying to figure out, okay, you know, some kids bounce back, some kids don't bounce back. We could teach skills all day long, but, you know, what was the X factor that, yeah. that Mama Jackson gave me? That's what that I want to know. Like, what to, is the difference? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely and can want you to teach, talk about that. Can you yeah. teach that? Yeah, right? yeah, we were talking yeah, about, about that yeah. a little bit last time yeah, yeah. where it was like for a long time they believed you just couldn't even teach resilience. Yeah, right? yeah. It was just something you had or you didn't have. Yeah, yeah. So and, what exactly was the difference between you know these kids who have struggles and challenges and, and, and who bounce back from them versus those who shut down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the great question. I spent most of my career... You know, as a social worker, I work with kids with my background, kids that have high trauma and they're hurting themselves and others, they're giving up. But we knew there was this other population, kind of what you're describing a little bit, where they have tremendous difficulties, opposition, but they're not giving up. They're pushing through. I want to know what the heck, you know, two kids grew up in the same home, the same background. One kid thrives. Why does this other kid not thrive? Right. You know, there's, there's all these questions. Is it nature versus nurture? Today, I think we know it's kind of a combination of both. Yeah. But, um, but just, yeah, just trying to answer that question, you know, what enables one kid to, to push through another kid not? We, one thing we started doing several years ago, I started paying attention to kids who, again, who had high, high 
problems and trauma. You know, mom might be in prison. Dad's an alcoholic. But this kid got a scholarship. And I want to know Ooh, what the there? crap yeah. is that kid tapping into. Yeah. And what we noticed, one of the things we noticed was they had the ability to um, access in productive ways positive and negative emotions. And I spent eight years in college pretty much just studying huh. positive psychology. But um, we noticed quickly that they had the ability, they, they took anger, sadness, depression, hurt, disrespect, and they used it as a fuel source. Um, wow. One way I explain it to kids, I use a, a metaphor of a battery. And just imagine like a car battery. Yeah. And I would say, look, can you charge your battery with a positive connection? And the kid will say, with just a positive connection, no. Yeah. You charge a battery with just a negative connection. Of course, they'll just right, say right, no. Right. The battery charges because of the positive and the negative. Yeah. And we started realizing there's no law in the universe that says you cannot take negative emotions and create a productive outcome with it. Right. Take a negative emotion and say, because, and it's kind of what I was sharing earlier with Mama Jackson showing me what to do with my own negative emotions, that, you know, because I feel hurt, sad, or angry, again, there's no law that says I cannot use that as a reason to turn in my homework, to make better decisions, to walk away from right, the game or the fight. And you, could, so, you could use it as a reason to, you know, steal a car or yeah, beat somebody up, yeah, yeah. you know, or to, or to do something self-destructive. I mean, a lot yeah. of people... You know, they use yeah. it as a reason to drink, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I've made poor decisions in my own life. So I know yeah. exactly how that feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you look at a lot of the, you know, you've talked about this, a lot of, a lot of the world's like art yeah, yeah. and great creations, oh, yeah, absolutely. they come from great pain. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, Picasso's really famous paintings, I'm going to bring up, I forget his real famous paintings in Spain, you know, it comes out of the war and the, the pain of the war, he created those abstract paintings that are now worth like a billion dollars. Right. And, and, and it's him just channeling that, that art, you know, the greatest music, Hem, Hemingway's writing, the greatest comedians, they're usually channeling pain. Oprah, Oprah yeah, was physically abused, sexually abused, yeah. what she did with that, she goes, I'm going to use that pain to change the world. Christopher Reeves took being paralyzed. Right. And, Said, you know, I'm going to channel this in in ways. I'm going to I'm going to change the paralysis community. I'm going to yeah. give hope, and he did it. And and there's um, Nelson Mandela. All these people, they took tremendous opposition, and they created a productive outcome with it. I started realizing now these people special, or could we start teaching this to people really right. early in life? And um, what we're learning is. Resilience is a learned skill. You one you, we believe you already have, it, and two is just you just have to have the skills to pull it out of you. Wow. And um, and that's what we call the battery, the ability to 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 have opposition. And so, if this was like a formula we were looking at, like step one, step two, the yeah. first thing you have to have, have to be resilient is you have to have something to bounce back from. You have to have some have type have a of challenge. Challenge. The second thing you have to be able to tap into is we call something called flipping the switch. Oh. And that is, you just say to yourself, "How do I use this challenge as my best friend?" Until you ask yourself that question, yeah. How do I use the suffering? How do I use this pain as a reason to not give up? As a reason to grind, to put one foot in front of another. The minute you ask that question you're entering into the world of resilience. Because people say, well, how do you, when someone's not motivated, what gets them there? Well, you have to ask that question in your own way. Internally, you say, okay, I'm dealing with this suffering. This is how I'm going to convert it into a productive outcome. And this that's is, flipping the switch. And that's flipping the switch. When you, when you say, instead of shutting down, I am going to use this challenge as a, re, you know, I'm, go, I'm yeah. going to just bear up under it and get it done. I mean, there's like yeah. even a book right now that's out there yeah, called, yeah. you know, The Obstacle is the Way. Yep, yep, yep. Right? I'm seeing, like, there's actually several books coming out right now talking yeah. about that. So the, people are catching this, which yeah. is, uh, I'm seeing yeah. it. So I think you're going to see more and more of this in psychology. In psychology, we're becoming less and less concerned whether an emotion is positive or negative. What we care more about is what is the outcome of the emotion? And it's funny, there's some people in psychology that are mm -hmm. arguing we should never classify an emotion right. as positive or negative. It's just They're emotion. just emotions. Yeah. Just, and to have yeah. an emotion is as normal as breathing. Whether an emotion yeah. is positive or negative, we have something like, I was reading a thing the other day that said like 45,000 different emotions during 45, the day. 45,000? Yeah, different emotions, emotions during That's the day. Yeah, one up. day. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, you have to look that up. But they were, what was fascinating about that though is you know some of those emotions are going to be positive, some yeah. of those emotions are going to be negative. And to um, have a negative emotion Emotion is as normal as drinking water or yeah. or breathing in oxygen. It's, it's it's the human condition. Think about it. If yeah. you never ever had a negative emotion, you would be a robot. You'd be a machine. You could actually argue. I was doing a speech not too far from a college campus the other day. It was a bunch of humanity 
professors there, and they said, Christian, what you're talking about is literally where humanity is born. Yeah, is in it, our emotions. Is in our emotions. Well, yeah, it's in our emotions. Human. And having negative emotions particularly. Absolutely. Because if you've ever been around someone right. who's positive all the time, they show no vulnerability. It, it seems yeah. fake. Yeah, you can't get close to someone. Yeah. Unless they do have problems, they do because mess you know they're up. having they do them, make just not sharing them with yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I just feel like you're not being real with me. Yeah, yeah. So like, vulnerability. This yeah. is why Brene Brown's work is so powerful. Yeah, that, absolutely. That 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 vulnerability is everything, and you know relationships are a huge part of resilience. Yeah. And so if there's no vulnerability, we're not real with people. We don't share with people the like reality real of our of our negative emotions. But you understand, yeah. there's um, a lot of people have socialized us that. Something's wrong with, wrong you with you if you have yeah. negative emotions. One of the things I'm, I'm enjoying doing is taking yeah. kids by third grade and letting them know the minute you feel sad, angry, or nervous, one, nothing's wrong with you. You're human. It's as normal as breathing. And you can make a decision to use those emotions in productive ways. See, my whole childhood was if I felt negative emotions and something was wrong with me, I was bad. Right. And it, Which it, makes it, you feel more negative yeah, emotions. I know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, psychology is making some huge inroads there. Yeah, that's great. And so it's, it's, it's exciting to see that. So, so that would be the kind of the third step yeah. is to channel your emotions, whether they're positive or negative, in can productive we, ways. Can we just dwell on that for a second? Because, yeah. um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've started kind of a mindfulness practice. Uh -huh. And I think a big part of mindfulness meditation, which is huge right now, of course, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. more and more people are meditating and it's, and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and a big part of that is just to observe how you're feeling yeah, kind of yeah. moment to yeah, moment, yeah, right? Absolutely. Without absolutely. judgment. But what helps is, so I think it's great to be able to use the negative emotion as fuel, as a yeah. reason to push through the challenge. But what do you have to say about, you know, well, I'll just say this for me, learning to not dwell yeah. unnecessarily yeah. on my negative emotions yeah. so, and allow them to just take over yeah. my mind, that's also been a powerful yeah. So the ability through. to just observe an emotion, whether it's positive or negative, and it's particularly it's really powerful if it's negative emotion or you know, it's anger, sad, anxiety, depression, and just go, okay, I feel it. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to observe it. And, and especially with something like anxiety, it's really powerful. So yeah. a big part of treating anxiety, we realize, is, well, identify the anxiety. You go through, you don't deny feeling it. Because with anxiety, if you deny that it's there, it's going to get more and more right. intense. Yeah. You're more likely to go to a panic attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we, we realize now with pretty much any emotion, the ability to access that mindfulness and just observe it, see it, feel it acknowledge it and observe it, you can take power over it. And then if you add that next step to create a productive outcome with sadness, right. hurt, anger, now fear, it has meaning. depression. Yeah, now, I mean, it's now it has a power use. of meaning. Yeah. And I think that's um I think that's gonna change the human condition. And the more and more we're learning about this and the more and more we're able to teach it and teach it to children early as possible. I mean Many adults do not know what to do right. with anger, sadness, hurt. And we're and again, it, we're seeing thousands of children learn how to create productive outcomes when they feel sad. I think that's, yeah. if you said to me, what's the biggest breakthrough I've seen in mental health, psychology, so we've so been doing this in the that's last it. 20 years, that's it. The yeah. ability to do that. And that's why the, the book, we named the book The Resilience Breakthrough. The breakthrough yeah. is that we can maximize our negative emotions in very productive ways. And again, I'm one of these people yeah. that believe not it's that we're just an emotional trying to feel state. Bad all yeah, yeah, the time, yeah, 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 yeah. But that we can take these natural emotions and channel them toward a productive outcome. Yeah, you know, yeah. they are energy. Absolutely. And we don't need to beat ourselves up for having them. Yeah. We don't need to dwell on them. Yeah. But we can take the energy that they create and channel that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're going to say, what's the next part of the model? And so, so, and then the the next step is we've been able to identify what we call the four sources of resilience. And this is where resilience comes from within. I had yeah. read hundreds of books on resilience and they drove me crazy. Yeah. Because they would tell me the attributes of resilience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where does it come from? Motivation, you know, hard is, work, determination. Source yeah, yeah. of resilience? Yeah, they would tell me skills. And to be yeah. frank with you, I spent 20 years teaching skills right. of resilience. Right. You know, what I was talking about earlier, decisions have consequences, how to tear off your labels, control your defense. Those are right. skills right. of resilience. But I wanted to know... Where does it come from inside? Where, why does one person reach down and use whatever their rock bottom moment is? Because, again, we all have our own personal rock yeah. bottom. It's different for everybody. Totally. But, but whatever that kind of pain is, that suffering, the ability to flip that switch 
why does one person, you know, do that somewhat regularly, sometimes almost easily, and other yeah. people have they a don't really hard time to do that. Yeah. And I started realizing- I mean, realizing, some people, they, they yeah. hit this one setback, right? Yeah. And it just derails their whole life. Yeah, yeah. You know, they hit one challenge, and maybe it's maybe it's losing a job, yeah. and then they end up getting a divorce, and yeah. then they end up hooked Excellent. on substance abuses, and, yeah, yeah. you know, they end up- I think up we need to be sensitive to that, because that's the human condition. Like, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there. I've been yeah. that person. I didn't yeah. end up divorced, yeah. Yeah. but I've gone down that rabbit hole and dwelt there for years. Yeah, yeah. Until I had the tools to understand that I could take control of that situation. Yep, absolutely. How can we do that? How can we teach more people to do that? Yeah, so so that's now right now we're not gonna have time to get into all that, but in the book here, I, I recommend I don't know how long it's been since you read the book, but in the book we'll go into depth. Does that yeah. make sense on yeah. how to do that? But I want to highlight do, yeah, 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 yeah. But I want to okay. highlight okay. that I want to answer your question, just just kind of what we found was one of the you know, these four X factors, because again, I spent most of my career studying people like myself, you know, people who had high you know, some different trauma, had difficulties, and then, you know, the, I would work with them if they would hurt themselves or others. You come into my office as a social worker. I've worked in lots of detention centers, youth corrections, adult prisons and stuff. You know, I work with that population that takes the suffering, takes the pain, and channels it in negative ways. But then some amazing educators started pulling me aside and saying, Christian, have you ever considered paying attention to people who have high trauma but are actually being productive. They're not hurting. I said, no, I don't work with those people. I didn't have much interest in them. Then all yeah. of a sudden it hit me. I was like, wait a minute. If we could figure out. What's the difference between this, yeah, and, they, this? That, that and that? If we could figure out what the heck they're tapping into. And I kept yeah. seeing four things pop up over and over again. And I've, I've put this filter through literally tens of thousands of people, everyone from famous people that we were just talking about, like Oprah, Mandela, and all these yeah. people, to you know, kids I'm working with from LA Unified, from Los Angeles to um, Baltimore, you know, just across this country. So it seems pretty and universal. This, yeah, and we would see these four things pop up over and over again. And usually we see people tapping into two of these four sources of resilience. And the first thing we started seeing is something called relational resilience. Oh, yeah. And that means, you know, you go through the motions. You put one foot in front of another because another person needs you and you need them. Right. It's that interdependence. If, you know, if I, I said, Dave, you know, write down five people that need you and you need them. Yeah, I could do it. Yeah, you could do it. And, and that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, Honestly, yeah. there was a time in my life when I couldn't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could have done that. I, I could have yeah. written down one my mom. Wow. And that yeah. was during a time that I was, I, was, I was rock bottom and I was struggling. Um, you know, I was, I was... I was essentially being as a teenager. Uh, my dad wanted to kick me out of the house, and wow. uh, I ended up I ended up homeless for a few weeks myself. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, so um, I, I couldn't write yeah. down very many people, and maybe there were more than I thought. Yeah. But at the time of my life, when I think I, I could write down the fewest people, I think that's when I was struggling the most. Yeah. Right now, I think I'm probably doing the best I've ever done. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. right now, I can write down the most people. Could you write more than eight? I could probably could write. More than I could probably write <laughs> yeah. ten or fifteen at yeah, least, yeah. maybe yeah, yeah, twenty. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, you, I don't yeah, get yeah. a thought. But I've yeah. got people in my life now, and I'm thriving. So I can see what you're saying. Yeah, and we see this all the time when, when you have, you know, especially even. Five or more people, it can even be three or more, but when you, and it depends on how deep those relationships are. I mean, you, you have three people that completely need you and you need them. We see people are more likely to want to push through and thrive. And we want to thrive for them. And we know that we have responsibility in their life and they have some influence and responsibility in our own life. That, that interdependence is so important. I'm not talking about dependence. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about interdependence that's yeah. positive. That, you know, I need them, they need me. And the more of those relationships, I think we have found in resilience, the more of those relationships that are unconditional, it's, it's very powerful. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Like, I have two kids, you know, Cooper and Carson. You know, if I never, ever got invited to speak again, yeah. you know, so funny. I've been saying this for years, yeah. you know, and I just had that happen because um, of this pandemic. I know, because the pandemic, we wow, just had all, wow. everything on your calendar has disappeared yeah, 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 for yeah. months. One of the reasons I have time to sit here and talk into this microphone. That's right. <laughs> and, so, um, and so I always would say for years, and it just happened. It, just, it was yeah. emotional. I would just yeah. say thing, I'm like, wait a minute, it yeah. just happened. And you're, you're here doing it. <laughs> and I'm here, and I said, you know, if... Um, anything ever happened, I wasn't invited to speak, you know, I would do what I had to do. You know, I'd go work, you know, if I had to go work four different fast food restaurants, whatever I needed to do, I'll push through, I'll continue to talk, <laughs> and I'm continuing yeah. to talk. I mean, right now, the only way I'm going to get this message out to the world around resilience is going to be whether in a webinar, a podcast, doing right. this, and I, right. I'm excited that I have time to do this podcast right now. But, um, you know, I, 
I hope this is going to talk about vulnerability a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be real. But, you know, I'm, I'm in this chair right now talking everybody's ear off because those two kids, Cooper and Carson, I mm. want to I want to take resilience to the world, but I'm responsible for them, and um, that motivates me. That yeah. motivates me to be a better father. Um, to be frank with you, they're kind of upset with me because, you know, yeah. I'm not at home right now. We were, know, we were having we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk about that. But I'm like, you know, um, but those relationships, you know, even the relationships that, again, have passed away. I told you, last podcast, my brother Billy, you know, motivates me. Yeah. And then, you know, my parents passing away, you know, I'm saying, okay, they're not here, but I can be their voice. I can try to change this world. You know, my mom had some mental health issues, and so I try to work on mental health issues across this country and stuff, you know, speak out. You know, women deal with tremendous challenges and difficulties in this world. It's, it's still somewhat of a man's world. And, it is. And, um... And my mom used to drive me around and talk about how she was treated and, and the pain she felt as a mm. woman. And I, that, you know, that inspires me to speak out for women's rights. Um, the pain I see in these kids with learning disabilities, it helps me want to advocate for LD issues, learning disability issues and stuff. So, so it's kind of a need that the world has, right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That for your voice, that, that also motivates yeah, you. Yeah, and so, but it's because of those people groups, depended yeah. upon me. And so where I need them, yeah. And they need me. Yeah. That motivates us to go through. So I I challenge people to to figure out those relationships. And then again, I was referring to it earlier, is this unconditional love. In the world of resilience, you know, we, we know which type of love that we need to bounce back in. You know, some of our relationships in this world are unconditional. And some of these relationships are conditional. You know, as a business owner, sure. I have to be conditional. My I think employees don't do A, B, or C. Yeah, yeah. Too many of them are conditional. As a yeah. business owner, it's right. all about productivity. Someone's not productive. Yeah. You have to, and that's very hard for me as a social worker. What I hate about business yeah. is, those are, those is are I have to make to those, tough, those tough decisions. Yeah. And um, sometimes I wish I would have just been a social worker yeah, and yeah, I've been yeah. a social entrepreneur and trying yeah, to change yeah, yeah. this world and just change you know, the people have, came into my office. But then, yeah, yeah. Then but you it's just, a one-to-one one -one level. You that's know? true. That's true. Being a macro yeah. social worker is intense. But, um, but what I have found is a human being is much, much more likely to bounce back in an unconditional environment versus a conditional environment. And, and it's funny, I've been Why? studying this for the last few years, and it's because, you know, in a conditional environment, when someone says, I'm going to love you if dot, 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 I'm going to love you if you have my view, you jump through my hoops, you have my perspective, you do what I ask, that's a conditional relationship. And usually in that situation, someone's controlling you. It took me, I was almost 50 mm -hmm. years old to learn that, Conditional relationships, from my lived experience, I'm saying I'm right, but from my lived experience, um, they're usually about power and control. They're about well, that makes sense. it's about the other person. It's not that's about why me. they're in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, set yeah. conditions so that yeah. you'll meet those conditions, and that's the mechanism of control. Absolutely, uh, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. And 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 when someone's trying to bounce back, the yeah. more situations they're in conditional, you're going to see anxiety go up. Yeah. Depression's going to go up. Fear is going to go up. Yeah. When relationships are based on control and fear, they're they're, they're not conducive to the world of resilience. And I see yeah. so many people as I, I've been speaking about this the last few years across the country and literally thousands of people have come up to me at book signings and I've got oh my gosh I was taking a survey while you were talking I realized that more of my relationships are conditional than unconditional and and then I've had literally hundreds of letters and people come up to me and have said look I decided I'm going to make sure I have more unconditional relationships that people know I have value and worth, whether I succeed or whether I fail. I'm going to have more of those relationships. And they almost all report to me. They feel less anxiety, less depression, less fear. Wow. And we have that's to powerful. create a world that's much more unconditional. So, so in the world of resilience, unconditional, yeah. the more unconditional relationships you have, the more you're going to be able to thrive. Mama Jackson should always yeah. say to me, Christian, if you end up on death row, yeah. the only person that's going to visit you is yeah. me. And I know today, yeah. no matter that's what true. mistake. Now, I'm, uh, I'm like, but, but yeah, yeah, I won't yeah, be on yeah. death row. But, I'll be there with her. Okay, yeah, you visit me yeah. too on I'll death row you. if I ever mess up. But what I'm saying is, but that that's the level of love Mama Jackson wanted me to know, yeah. that there was nothing I could nothing do on this do. earth to mess up, yeah. that she wasn't going to stand she, by me. And That's how my mom is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've met your mom. Your mom's a saint. She's an amazing woman. She just loves absolutely unconditionally. Her children. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say she loves everyone that way, but her children, she loves that way. Yeah. You know, you know, what's an interesting question and, and kind of an interesting quandary, I guess, like how can you get more people in your life who love you unconditionally? That's an yeah. interesting question to think yeah. about for a second. Cause I think what you have to do is love other people unconditionally 
Yeah. First. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, it's funny. In the last, as I went to school on this the last couple of years, I've had an amazing thing. So I've reached out to probably four or five, you know, new friends I've had in the last three or four years. And, and, and some of them have a mental health background and, and, and um, psychology and they're interested in this and, you know, they're in their late 40s, 50s, and we'll talk about how many relationships have come and gone in our life. And usually those relationships come and go because there's some judgment there. Um, if you don't do what they ask, or you don't act a certain way or behave a certain way, then those relationships kind of filter out. You know, they yeah, just kind of yeah. fizz out, I guess. Yeah. And so it's funny. So I've had several friends, and you, you're definitely one. We've had this conversation. Is um, you know, might if you share something, if we share yeah, something yeah, personal absolutely. with the audience here. But I don't you know, know, how you're one of these <laughs> things. But we, but with you and several of my friends, I've just said, hey, you know, I travel all the time, and I've just said to close friends, I'm like, you know. I'm going to be there sometimes, but because you know, I usually oftentimes work 100 hours a week. I'm going to I'm going to be a horrible friend. I'm going to come. I'm going to go. But hey, if we could, if you'll hang in there with me, and you can create an unconditional environment a little bit with me. And not when I mean unconditional, that means with it, look. If I start harming harming someone in any way, right. they need to withdraw from me. They don't need but to be my best friend. Sometimes it's like I'm going to be yeah, texting you yeah, and yeah, calling yeah, you. Yeah, and yeah. Sometimes I'm going to fall off the face of the planet, planet for a yeah, week yeah, or a yeah. month or who knows how long. Exactly. But let's just pick it up where we left it. Exactly. And, that, yeah. and it, these are beautiful relationships. I wish I would have yeah. had this skill my whole life because now at 50 years old, I literally tell people the truth. I'm going to suck as a friend yeah. and I'm going to be great as a friend. Right. But when I'm in my lows, just be patient with me. I'll come back. And it's just because... Of, I mean, I'm a little bit of a workaholic, and I'm doing this yeah. work across the world, and um, and it's exhausting. And sometimes I'm just I'm not the best friend. But it's funny the people who we've kind of come to that agreement with, and just been unconditional with. I can just pick right back up right. with them. And so now that's the number one thing I'm looking for in a relationship, and, and it's impacting my personal resilience tremendously. Yeah. Because I'm with people that are safe, that are gonna like me no matter where I'm standing within my flaws or. And in, in my weaknesses, they're, they're just going to respect where I am. That They understand I'm human. I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to be perfect. And I have other relationships that are very – I never feel safe in them because if I'm not doing what they expect, I'm yeah. the bad guy. It's easy to right. – we, we attack people who aren't meeting our needs, which I get that. Yeah. And, and 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 not jumping through our filters, and as as our country's become so divided, we for many reasons we put people in boxes, and and I think it's important that you pay attention to, you know, what are the people who really stand by you, no matter what your views are, how you see things, the mistakes you've made. Those are real friends, and I it's taken me almost fifty years to understand what a real friend is, and that has a huge impact yeah, it does. on your resilience. It I really just want to plant that seed there yeah. a little bit. I know we got a little bit of tangent there, but no, no, I, I it's think. it's so it's so important because you know you're talking about um, you're talking about relational resilience, right? And yeah, it's people yeah. I can depend on, and usually people who are one down, yeah, yeah. like they just need people that they can depend on first. Yeah. But then as you kind of go through the you know you go through life, you pick up more and more people who are depending on you. Absolutely. You know, as you kind of become a parent, as you become you know you know more advanced in your career or whatever, like whatever whatever your pathway is, you pick up people who are more dependent on you, yeah. and that balance kind of shifts naturally over time in a life, right? Uh, yep, yep. I mean, we all start off very dependent, and then it's kind of funny we all end up very dependent at the very end too. We yep, kind of yep. all turn back into children circle. again. Yep. But in the middle of life, we have probably more people who are depending on us. But resilience, you know, res yep. that resilience tends to go up as you get more responsibility. As more yeah, people oh, are depending on you, yep. and you're, yeah, right? absolutely, it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. As, as you meet other people's needs and they meet your needs, your resilience starts yeah. driving. It goes up yeah. and up and up. And um, and again, we're social creatures. You know, right now, so many people across this country are, are in, they feel lonely, they feel isolated because you know we're on this this country starting to lock down because yeah. of this pandemic, and um, and that isolation is going up. And I'm seeing all these people talking about it, tweeting about it, and stuff. And then just that loneliness, and in in we can't go on too long with this because we're social creatures. We Dude. we have to connect emotionally. I got this and, message from this. There's this yeah. woman, Felicia Jimenez, and uh -huh. she's a friend of mine who lives in Texas, and she's she, so she's a school teacher. And she is terrified right now that there are kids that she's yeah. watching over that are at home and are going to get abused. 
Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of talk right now about yeah, abuse yeah. is going to go up, yeah, like yeah. child abuse is going to go up during the pandemic yeah, yeah. because there yeah. are parents who are just struggling, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and there's and, just, and some of the societal checks and yeah. things are kind of going away. Yeah, and yeah. so, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how you, you know, handle that. Yesterday I was going to the store and I saw a police officer, you know, handcuffing a guy, taking him out of his house. The wife's pointing on the front porch. Yeah. You know, yeah, because you could tell it was a domestic violence yeah. thing that just went on. That was just a few hours ago. You know, wow. I, I saw that. I was that, that's exactly that, what I was that thinking. Kind of thing could go I was up thinking, right man, like, oh, yeah, not not kind. Of, it, we know a social worker, right. And sociologist, it will go up. I mean, there's and no question. When so, I mean, you know, just just kind of a side note on relational resilience. So I I'm I, I'm a high school dropout. So I I got my I got my GED. I dropped out of high school my senior year. I did not graduate from high school, and I went to Santa Barbara. You got to be proud of that because you're one of the most productive high school dropouts I've ever met. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for that. So so, but I went. So I was I was getting failing grades. I had no motivation to go to school. I did not see the point of it. Uh, you know, I have mild dyslexia myself. Yeah. I have some learning disabilities, but you know, I could do this thing where I would, I would basically study the material, show up for two days in class and get like an A in the class. Cause I, I would read the syllabus and I would kind of know how to game the system. And I don't know, I don't know what you call it. It's my version of the no F game yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured I could not, I did not have to go to class. I knew exactly what assignments I'd have to do. Yeah. And so I could, if I wanted to get an A in class, in the classes that I wanted to just by taking the test and fulfilling certain assignments. Yeah. I kind of had a whole game worked out, but my senior year, I just lost all motivation to do it. And so I started failing out of high school and I just decided, you know what? I'm just gonna take the GED. I don't even see the point in this. And so I enrolled at Santa Barbara City College hoping that someone would make education more interesting for me. This is a relational resilience story. I wish I could remember this guy's name, but he's a philosophy teacher. At, at Santa Barbara City College. He's this little Japanese guy, short. Yeah. And uh, you know he's like my Mr. Miyagi yeah. and a very interesting guy. And I, the first day I showed up to his class, you know, he was teaching things that were so interesting. And I started raising my hand and speaking in class. And afterward, he pulls me aside and he goes, have you thought about being a philosophy major? You know, and, and I don't know that the stuff I was saying was all that smart or whatever, but I think he could tell that I needed a positive experience in education. And he took me under his wing and he made me, so he made me a mentor in the class and I knew he was depending on me and I knew I could depend on him. And I went from having no interest in education and essentially getting F's to getting a 4.0 at Santa Barbara City College. Oh, wow. Awesome. It was awesome. because of this philosophy yeah. teacher. I wish I could remember Isn't his name. Crazy, the power of one person. It was, you know amazing. what? He loved me unconditionally. I knew he loved me. I knew he yeah. cared about me. Yeah. He cared about my future yeah. and he took me under his wing. I had no business That's awesome. being That's awesome mentored story. by this yeah. guy, but he just saw something in me and took me under his wing and it made a huge impact on me. I'm glad he did. It made a huge impact on me. Kind of wrapping yeah. this up, if this is a model, yeah. again, the first thing you have to have to be resilient you have to have yeah. suffering. You have to have a right. challenge. Right. Second thing you have to have is the ability to flip the switch. Say to yourself, how do I use this challenge as my best friend? That's kind of the question we have to ask. That's kind of the gateway to resilience. And then the third thing is we've got to tap into, if we have a challenge, we're going to have negative emotions. The ability to tap into both positive and negative emotions. Now, please don't hear me wrong. If you have positive emotions, we want you to maximize those positive emotions. And then but we want you to be able to take negative emotions and create a productive outcome with them. And that gives you a huge resilience advantage. And then we want you to be able to tap into that relational resilience. And then in some other podcasts coming up, we're going to talk about something called street resilience, street resilience resource yeah. resilience, and rock bottom resilience. Okay. And we will get to those very quick. Yeah. And then our plan after we've laid all that out is to bring in guests yeah, yeah, and to have them tell their personal stories of resilience. And we've already lined up some great people. I'm yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. So It's, it's going to be, be fun. fun. Yeah, yeah, got some All good right. people. All right. Episode two in the can. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you.